Hello and welcome to Meet the Problem Solvers. I'm Judy Perlman. We are now focusing on bringing you information that you need and ideas that you can use as we are all navigating these waters of COVID-19 and the many changes that they're bringing to our lives and our communities. I'm really excited because today I have Susan Pacheco. She's going to talk with us about a, an array of concerns and services related to senior citizens and older Americans. She's also the Executive Director of the Cambridge Council on Aging. Thank you so much for joining us, Susan. Thank you, Judy, for having me on. I wanted to say one thing. Uh, Susan's gonna give us some practical guidance and all kinds of ideas, but a little bit later in our conversation, she's also gonna offer up a number of important phone numbers. So if you wanna grab a pencil and a paper right now so you're ready to take those phone numbers down, we'll forgive you if you step away. <laughs> <laughs> so Susan, thank you very much for joining us. And why don't you just put us in the picture? Tell us about COVID-19 and its special role in the lives of older adults. Thank you, Judy. Um, and thank you for this opportunity. As we have heard in the news, I'm not going to say anything that's new for anyone. We know that older adults who are 65 and older are at the greatest risk for COVID-19. Um, especially those with any underlying health conditions and respiratory illnesses are at greater risk um, for any, any um, condition um, due to, related to COVID-19. And when we talk about underlying medical conditions, it could be you know, something as common as diabetes. So I think people don't always think about, oh, I'm only diabetic, I don't have asthma, or I don't have any, any other respiratory condition. But remember, we do have such a high population of individuals who have diabetes. So therefore, at greater risk of COVID-19. It's important for seniors to follow all of CDC's recommendations for prevention. Stay home wash your hands often, avoid close contact. And I know that's so difficult. I see it with my own parents. They can't see their grandchildren and they can't understand why. I mean, they seem healthy, everyone seems healthy, but it's those healthy people can be carriers of COVID-19. And that's what we wanna do. We wanna be able to protect our older adults and the most vulnerable in our community. Um, so we, we practice and we preach exactly what we hear all over the news. You know, stay six feet away, um, practice social distancing. This isn't the time to go out. But yes, please go get some air, get some sun. Of course, that's all important. Um, something that's very important, I also, you know, for seniors, for older adults, having the senior centers closed down, that is such, such a loss for people. Senior centers are very much the social outlet for so many of our older adults in our community. And I don't want them to you know, miss that social connection because social isolation leads to so many other issues. Yeah. So please, um, if you're home alone, if you don't have family, if you don't have regular supports that you can be able to, you know, have people come in and check in on you, please reach out to us. At this point, I do want to say, call our Cambridge Council on Aging main number, 617-349-6220. We may not be there physically, but we are monitoring that remotely. We are returning people's calls. We're keeping connected with folks. So please, social distancing does not mean social isolation, please. That's a really important point. 
Susan, let's talk, let's now turn a little bit to the medical side of things. What are some of the key symptoms people should think about, should be watching for, and, and specifically, what should they do if they uh, start feeling ill? Well, I'm definitely going to be repeating a lot of what we hear on the news, all the symptoms that um, CDC has been putting out. And again, I am not a medical um, professional in any way, um, but so I'm going to repeat exactly what we know. If you have a fever, if you have, um, so if there's a temperature, if you have a cough, if you are feeling any form of um, fatigue that is not normal to you, you need to be able to call your doctor. But heed the advice of what people are saying. Don't just jump in a cab or get a ride or walk to the nearest emergency room. Make sure you call your doctor's office first. Explain what your symptoms are because your doctor will be best suited to be able to direct you on what you need to do. But let's not forget that you know we, we are faced with the COVID-19 symptoms, but there are many other medical emergencies that happen every single day. So unfortunately, you know, individuals are still watching out for, you know, if, if insulin levels are too high or if they have chest pains or if they are exhibiting other symptoms that are real medical distress. Let's not forget 911 is the number to call. If there is, if you are not feeling well and you believe it's something that needs to be acted upon immediately, you call 911. That's what we need to stress first and foremost. Okay, thank you. I think that's right. But And, and with regard to those COVID-19 symptoms, mm -hmm. wait, make that call, whether, it, yes. um, hopefully you'll call before you're feeling 911 level. Exactly, exactly. Right, call early and get some guidance. Exactly, and your Good. doctor will be Good. able to guide you through it. Good. So now we turn to not the medical side of thing, but thing of life, but maybe some of the more practical assistance that everybody needs, including older folks. So right. send a picture about some of that practical assistance. So for one thing, um, our staff has been, the staff of the Council on Aging have been uh, monitoring the Cambridge Community Food Line. This was an incredible endeavor put forth by the city of Cambridge and for, with Food for Free. Um, and it is an opportunity for individuals, not just older adults, but younger disabled, um, individuals that have lost their jobs due to uh, COVID-19, um, you know, that their household situation has changed. Maybe they were frequenting another pantry within the Cambridge network system and that pantry has had to close due to COVID-19. It is a huge endeavor and I can't say enough for the food for free folks. What we're doing is we uh, return all the calls, people are calling in, we're hearing all the stories, not only older adults, but these young families um, all needing some sort of food assistance. We are calling individuals, we're screening those calls, we're placing them on a master list. Food for free is being able to provide food once a week delivered to their home. So no one needs to be able to get out. So definitely a bag of um, perishable items, you know, fresh produce, et cetera. And then the other bag, a lot of um, shelf staple items. So those are important things for people to have on hand. 
That number is 617-349-9155. Um, again, it is an incredible um, undertaking by the city of Cambridge and for food for free, with food for free. And we certainly hope, and we're hearing um, such incredible call, the calls that we're getting, uh, just the gratitude that individuals are feeling um, that at least being able to get some form of relief in that way. If I could also just say um, Somerville Cambridge Elder Services, that is the local home care service that provides direct care in the home for older adults. You can imagine these are individuals that on, you know, on a regular basis need some sort of daily assistance, whether it's grocery shopping, whether it's their personal care, whether it's meals on wheels, et cetera. A lot of those services have been interrupted for, a different, for different reasons. Some companies not being able to get workers into the home. In some cases, it's been the seniors actually um, wanting the service to be um, suspended because they don't mm -hmm. want individuals in their home. But one service that continues to happen and still new referrals are being taken, it's for Meals on Wheels. So for individuals who cannot be able to prepare their own meals or have access to nutritional meals, they are taking referrals. You can call Somerville Cambridge Elder Services, 617-628-2601, and they will be able to place you, assess you and put you on the list, be able to get a, a delivered meal. And that's also important to remember. Just because people are not in their physical locations in these agencies, Services are not being, um, you know, they're not, business is a little different, but business continues. Yeah. They're still open for business. It's in a different way. Um, I also want to talk about a little bit about transportation. And just a reminder that um, we do have, the city does have a contract with SCM door-to-door -door transportation. Their phone number is 617-625-1191. Important to remember, they're still doing medical transportation and grocery trip transportation. But again, doing it just like they always did, two days in advance to reserve, and they're still managing to get people to and from medical appointments. But with medical appointments, please do call ahead to your own doctor's office, making sure that they're still seeing regular well visits. A lot of doctor's offices are canceling that. Okay. Let me take a minute now and put up the slide that we prepared with yes. these phone numbers. And you can quickly kind of run us through them again, where, where to call for what. So Cambridge Council on Aging, um, that is our main number. If you have any questions whatsoever, just call that number. If you can't remember any, any other number, call that number, 617-349-6220. We'll be able to talk to you about food, food pantry delivery, friendly visitation, meals on wheels, home care services, whatever it may be, call that number. If it, even if it's just to talk, if you just want to hear somebody's voice and be able to talk to someone. The Cambridge Community Food Line, that number, 617-349-9155, this is the uh, newest number that was just went live this past Monday. That is for any household, whether an older adult, younger disabled, or, or families that are not able to access food due to financial issues, uh, you know, loss of employment, physical disabilities, whatever it may be, call that number. So we'll be able to place you on a once a week food pantry delivery program. Somerville Cambridge Elder Services, I spoke about it. That's the agency that can provide meals on wheels or other services that an older adult needs in the home. 
Of course, any questions about city services, 311. And of course, if you have any questions um, that you're not already hearing about on the news about what mass, um, what COVID-19 is, please call the mass COVID-19 information line at 211. And again, let's stress, if you are feeling ill, if, the, if there's anything that's happening that is not in the norm, you call 911. Right, okay, well good. I think we've conveyed a lot of information. Um, I'm just gonna quickly now um, invite people to, well, I'm gonna try to, there we go. Um, this is Meet the Problem Solvers. We are really trying to meet the needs of our community by uh, putting guests like Susan up here, sharing information that's crucial. Please tell us who you'd like to hear from. Tell us about topics that you're really concerned about. Um, we'd really love to do that. Susan, we have about 11 seconds. I wanna thank you, keep up the good work, and we'll hope to get through this happy, healthy, and connected. I love our city. That, that's for sure. We will get through this. That's yeah. for sure. Thank you, Judy, for having Thank me. Thank you, Susan. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Today we have an interesting topic, uh, and it, basically what we're going to be doing is looking at our food system in a time of uncertainty. We're joined today by Jessie Bonhazel. Uh, she is the founder and executive director of Green City Growers. They do many things, most of which are targeted at helping people grow food at home and think in uh, new ways about producing and sourcing food locally. So uh, we're, and as I said earlier, what we're trying to do is kind of integrate interesting topics and concerns in the age of COVID. How does this crisis highlight our concern at this time or escalate some of the concerns that are, may, have, may be lower at other times, but are escalated now? So Jesse, thank you very much. Appreciate your coming. No problem, happy to be here. Yeah, so as we had started to talk about earlier today, um, the, the food production system, food and distribution system, in many ways is very robust, but it also has some vulnerabilities. Can you kind of help us understand some of that? Oh, and, and let me say one more thing. This is gonna be a shorter segment, so people uh, stay with us. We're gonna pivot from uh, problem to solution to um, other observations quicker than we have in the past. So I'll speak quick, but not, not too fast. <laughs> um, so yeah, this has been a very interesting um, crisis uh, in regards to the food system, because in many ways, the food system is actually very resilient um, during this COVID-19 issue. And so one of the things that we're not seeing is a lack of food, um, though grocery stores have been getting sold out, they've been restocking pretty significantly. Um, which is more of an issue of people kind of front-loading and and um, taking a lot of product at once versus them having enough ability to ship and to distribute produce. Um, but it's not that we're going to run out of food. Um, so uh, what's interesting is, though, while we're not seeing a lot of issues around the food system, there are some vulnerabilities that could create an issue. Um, one of the things that's a big deal is that uh, the way that we source food today and the way that food is distributed around the country involves a lot of transit, um, and it also involves a lot of labor that's coming from other countries. And so uh, one of the things that did come up um, is that the closing of the borders between Mexico and the U.S., um, there's some issues with visas. The H-2A visa program brings in people from Latin America specific, mostly, 
um, to come and during the harvest season and work for uh, the farms in California and Arizona um, and places where a majority of the food is being grown for the United States. Um, so issues with border, um, with shutting down borders, um, definitely create some uncertainty around labor um, and staffing, as well as if people get sick and they have to be home, you know, who is replacing them, who is out there harvesting and actually moving the food forward. So that's definitely a vulnerability. Um, another is shipping and shipping and distribution. If gas prices surge way up, um, you know, how is that affecting the cost of food? And then if the cost of food is going up, um, you know, are, can people afford it? Can people be affording to, to purchase food in that regard? And so, you know, while one of the, the I guess, um, ple more pleasant things about COVID is that it's not foodborne. Um, and so that's a nice, that's a nice thing about that. I guess if you can say anything's nice <laughs> about the virus. Um, but what's nice is that we don't have that particular issue to deal with. That said, the food industry deals with those issues all the time because of foodborne illnesses like E. coli and salmonella. And so typically the food safety regulations and the food handling regulations are up to code to handle something like coronavirus. And so that's an interesting part as well, is that you've got a lot of systems in place that can handle um, infectious disease. Um, it happens this particular infectious disease doesn't get, you can't get it through food, um, but it doesn't mean that the food system isn't actually handling it in a very safe manner. Good. I want to circle back to something that you talked about, which is as people's income is dropping, some and 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 they're having it's really just a matter of scarcity of funding. I mean, can people afford to go shopping? The food may be there, but what are we thinking about food scarcity, unequal access to it? What do we think about the as you've talked about, you've talked about, you talked about this morning, sort of people who are buying up everything and it's sort of a hoarding versus food waste. So maybe just put us in that piece of the problem statement also. Sure. So um, I don't I don't want to go too far down a hole in regards to government regulations. Um, around, but some of the things that um, are at play here are access to food stamps and programs for food stamps and for um, you know underserved populations and vulnerable populations to have access to fresh produce um, subsidized. Um, fresh food. And so that's a whole other thing is just like, is the government supporting um, the food banks and food stamps system, you know, now or before um, is definitely a variable here. But in terms of, you know, looking at um, this current situation, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more people reliant on food stamps and food banks, um, regardless. Um, and so, you know, ensuring that those locations are getting fresh produce is a big deal. And, and some of the things that can create additional produce at, at that level is one is focusing very, very much focusing on food based. And so looking to ensure that food is making it to the food banks versus being thrown out at the farm level, um, which happens due to lack of labor um, for harvesting or because the distributors um, won't accept the food because it's imperfect. Um, there's a lot of issues around that in regards to what's considered appropriate to put on a shelf at a grocery store. Um, so there's loss at the um, farm level with food. And at the grocery level, um, you know, when there's sell-by dates, there's all sorts of different variables um, that some of which are arbitrary um, that would create an item, make an item go off the shelf and into, uh, into the trash. Um, and organizations and the support of those organizations that will work with those grocery stores to pick that up and bring it to them. 
Um, and then people purchase a lot more food than they need, and that food then goes uh, and is wasted at home. And so there's like three different levels in which food waste is happening. Uh, all of that is food at one point that could have been consumed by someone who needed it. And so there's a lot going on around food waste and was going on around food waste before the crisis. And I think we're gonna see that issue being pulled to the forefront in regards to food systems um, because the access to food as we go into a pretty much inevitable recession at this point is going to be huge for people. Yeah, that's really interesting. That will be very interesting to kind of watch that um, become more of a priority. We have to get food to people and if it's a funny shaped potato, hey. It's edible. <laughs> and it probably, it probably tastes yeah. great. You know, yeah. it's like a delicious, it's a delicious potato too. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so the problems we've talked about a little bit. Now let's hear about some of the solutions that you and others are working on. Sure, you know, um, I think in general, um, we always preach that the closer food is produced um, to the source, like to the individual who are, are eating it, uh, the better for a lot of different reasons. And so like localized food systems are important because one, you take out that distribution and you take out those variables like um, gas prices and shipping. Um, and you can actually have more control over um, the food in that regard. Um, so, you know, local food allows you to kind of stay out of the shipping and distribution system. Um, secondly, um, it allows people to access food um, it, without leaving your community. And so you can actually just kind of go and get the produce in the area or, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of local farms doing um, delivery to people's homes at this point. And so there's a lot more of a personal relationship with the farm and, and it allows people to have a much um, better sense of, of kind of connection with the food. Um, as well as there's a lot more control over food safety when you um, have localized agriculture. And so some of these larger scale farms, um, you know, have some difficulty managing um, things like foodborne illnesses um, versus in a localized level, you can, you can manage that a lot better. And so for the, not always, but for the most part, you can see local food has a tendency to be safer, uh, more resilient um, when there's something like foodborne. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that we typically, um, you know, really advocate for is people growing as much of their food as they can at home. And so, you know, giving people the tools and the skills to be able to have a backyard garden, um, a community garden plot, or just support a local community farm are really great ways to take a certain percentage of the food that you would be purchasing and have full control over it and to be able to do it in a regenerative and sustainable and so this is not a new concept. Um, this is something that was pushed pretty heavily by the United States government um, uh, during World War II. Um, it was called the Victory Gardens Movement. Um, and there was a lot of emphasis on people growing food at home because there was concerns about food scarcity. And they wanted to essentially take the industrialized food system that we had at the time and have that food going across um, the seas to feed the troops. So, you know, if you could, if you have the space, grow food at home. And I think that that's always a good suggestion. And so, you know, giving people the tools to be able to have the knowledge and to know where to get the materials and potentially to subsidize or support um, the distribution of those materials to communities by installing community garden spaces or providing technical assistance on a, a local government level um, could do a lot of good um, in creating additional food options for people of, and also of getting people out of the industrial food system and focus on some percentage of their food coming from home. Some percentage of it being sort of really under their own 
control their own auspices, their own timing. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just yeah. This, this time feels so, um, yeah, I, it's just, it's so destabilizing. But to think about, you know, increasing my piece of my own autonomy with some local gardening of the vegetables I want to eat. <laughs> Not so. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, absolutely. So you guys have a great website with lots of resources and we should definitely ask people if they are more, if they're interested in learning more, they should go to greencitygrowers.com. Right? Yeah, absolutely. We're also yeah. on all of the social media platforms um, at Green City Growers. Um, and so, you know, we as an organization, we try to put out a lot of content um, that is can support people in, in growing food at home. Um, we, I started Green City Growers in 2008 um, in that recession. <laughs> and, um, you know, the company got started with the idea of giving people the tools to be able to grow food at home. So, um, you know, we provide a lot more hands-on assistance than, than everybody needs. Um, some people are just looking for information to do it themselves. Others really want to have a service come in and help them with these skills. And these are not skills that unfortunately are taught in school. Um, yeah. They're not skills that are, you know, you have to learn it from somewhere. Um, so unless you grew up on a farm, um, which a lot of us who grew up in urban or suburban areas around greater Boston or, you know, in the Northeast didn't. Right. And so it's, you know, it's not a, a, a set of skills that um, you should already inherently have. And so, um, you know, giving people access to those skills is really important and also providing any sort of technical assistance people need along the way to be successful. And, um, so, you know, I think people even then where there was an economic recession, it, it, there was a strong desire from consumers to be more self-sustaining um, mm -hmm. and to feel like I have control at least over having access to food um, where I don't need to count on. At the time, it was um, accelerating gas prices and um, was driving up the cost of food. Yeah. Well, interesting. So in our, so in our final couple of minutes, how has how would you say that the advent of COVID-19 has changed your workflow or your priorities? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so uh, we at Green City Growers are still in operation. Um, we are considered an essential business uh, being in agriculture. And so as a core, Green City Growers installs vegetable gardens and urban farms and provides the ongoing maintenance of those, of those sites. And so um, we have a team that installs those systems and then we have a team that maintain them. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we see as critical is having these gardens and farms planted and producing food. Um, even if in some cases we are growing food in places that are meant for public engagement, um, like Family Park, for example. We have a garden, a pretty sizable uh, market farm there. And, um, you know, even if, say, like there's no baseball this summer, that produce, you know, we grow 5,000 pounds of produce, that produce is still an important part of the fabric of people being able to access food. Um, and so, you know, diverting and changing our operation where um, a, that might have gone into a restaurant previously on site and having it go to local food banks is one of the shifts we're doing. Um, we're doing that with a lot of our, do a lot of corporate wellness programming uh, where we have vegetable gardens on um, corporate campuses. A lot of that food is getting diverted to food banks instead of going home with the employees. And then eventually when um, the employees come back, we're hoping it will then go home with the employees as well, um, who will be struggling from having this time off. Um, so, you know, diverting of where the food's going, but ensuring it's still growing. We always were very stringent about um, uh, work 
workplace safety and food safety. And so, like I mentioned before, um, agriculture takes food safety very seriously. Foodborne illness is a constant threat. And so we already have, um, you know, PPE and um, standard operating procedures in place and, and different things that we're utilizing to ensure that we can care for our employees and that we can um, care for the community in a safe way and still maintain these gardens. And so that actually hasn't changed much. Um, we really just kind of leveled up um, our existing uh, sanitation and clean, cleaning um, regimen. Um, you know, there's there's fear of about uh, labor and about workforce, you know, that if everybody gets sick, what do you do? How do you continue it? Um, but what's nice is that at this point, we have a good number of employees um, that, um, you know, are, are looking to work and want to be working. And we're happy that we're open and we're um, especially thrilled that agriculture is being taken seriously and that, you know, people are, understand each level of the food system as being important yeah. and ensuring people get food right now. That's great. And it's, I, I know that you said that you're doing Zoom meetings and you're, you, you're, you're taking your operations onto the internet. Yeah. Training materials and working more virtually with everybody. So yeah, wherever possible. I am working from home. I have an administrative position, so I'm I'm very much from home. Um, you know, everybody who can be is working from home, and uh, we're spacing out the um, anybody who needs to be in the office is being spaced out and isolated, which is a strange feeling. You know, it's this is kind of one of the nice things about uh, Green City Growers is that we've created this community of people who are passionate about farming and agriculture. Um, who get to share in that together. And so, it, you know, keeping people apart right now is very isolating, but yeah. we're all feeling it in every part of our lives. So, um, yeah. you know, I think that at least on the flip side, we're open for business and um, able to continue to keep people employed um, and do that so in a way where they can feel safe and comfortable in being employed. And that feels, that feels good. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk about Green City Growers and the whole idea of urban farming in the middle of all this. Um, you know what? It's beautiful. It's March. It's time for us all to be thinking. Yeah, get outside. <laughs> so life will continue. And anyway, Jesse, thank you very much. Um, we'll be in touch.